Thank you that you would be willing to come in human form and be born of a virgin. That in and of itself making you God. But then to cap it all off by dying the most heinous death ever. And coming back to life three days later. Lord, I pray that we would never lose sight of those hands and feet. And I pray that every day as we uh, go about our daily lives, God, that we would not get callous and cold to what you've done. And God, I pray that um, tonight in this service, just like you did in the birth of Jesus, the death of Jesus, and the resurrection of Jesus, that you would defeat Satan here tonight. You say in your word that if you, if you be lifted up, you'll draw men to yourself. Well, God, you've been lifted up tonight. So we're trusting you to draw those who need you to you for salvation. God, we're trusting that you're going to draw Christians that are wayward from you, hard-hearted towards you, back into a right relationship with you. Not because of anything we do, because of how good you are to us. Bless the word. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Greg talked about the uh, meeting with the children earlier, and I'll tell you right now, you want to do a great thing, and you really want to start planting the seed of the young age in, your, in, in the lives of the, t uh, the kids that go here, go get some of the, the CDs off that table and put it in your CD player as you're driving down the road with the kids in the back, because I promise you, that'll put seeds in their life as they hear the gospel sung by, by a group like the Crusaders. So go get your hands on some of those CDs and uh, you know some of that stuff, and you will have a hand in your kids coming to Christ simply by playing a, a song. I mean, what if your kids are driving down the road and they hear the hands and feet and it makes them want to cry out to Jesus for salvation? Um, what a great job David and, the, and, and Crusaders have done all week. Make sure if you haven't already, before you leave, you tell them how awesome a job they've done. Because I tell you what, I go to a lot of places, I preach a lot of places, and worship prepares you to preach. And I promise you this, I've been in a lot of places where we don't have that kind of worship. And uh, the Spirit is all over these guys, so make sure you tell them that. All right, well, tonight... I want to talk to you from a little different passage on the topic of how to have lasting revival. I don't want to talk to you about a calendared revival. I don't want to talk to you about a, um, a, church, a church revival. I want to talk to you about lasting revival. Not a revival that a church puts in their budget. Not a revival that they take a love offering for. But a revival that happens in the people of God that, that want to take a community for God and change the world for the glory of God. I want to talk to you tonight about how to have a revival that continues to go. That continues to go. Think about this. Think about this. 2,000 years ago, Peter preached a one-sentence prayer. 3,000 people gave their lives to the Lord. That, those people started what we have today called the church. That's revival of movement that continues on and continues on and continues on and continues on long after it starts. Here's what I want to see happen. If the Lord tarries another 50, 60, 70, 100 years, I want to see revival break out because of what He's done here. Because of what He's done here. So take your Bible and open up to Isaiah chapter 43. 
Isaiah chapter 43. If we're going to have lasting revival, revival means bringing something that's dead back to life. It means starting over. It means um, coming back to life. You know, the, the, the craze in the world today and the craze in Hollywood today is all this zombie stuff. Zombie this and zombie that. And you know, I mean, they've even got a commercial now for a cell phone plan that involves some dude that's a zombie talking about some sort of cell phone plan he can get. Well, understand this. Coming back to life is not Hollywood's idea. It's God's idea. God's about revival. He's about, bringing, he's about making all things new and bringing back to life things that are dead. And in Isaiah 43... Tucked in between Isaiah 6 where he has this awesome encounter with God and tucked between Isaiah 53 where it says he was pierced for our transgressions, he was bruised for our sin, the punishment for our sin was placed upon him and by his wounds we are healed is this passage of scripture. And you say, well, why is that important? Here's why I believe it's important. Because it's a reminder to the people of God what happens when we get right with God. Isaiah chapter 43, here we go. If we're going to have lasting revival, the first thing I want you to see is this. we got to rest on the promises that are given to the people of God. Watch this. Look at verse 40, chapter 43, verse 1. Now this is what the Lord says. The one who created you, Jacob, and the one who formed you, Israel. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. Catch this now. I have called you by your name. You are mine. I will be with you, watch this, when you pass through the waters and when you pass through the rivers, they will not overwhelm you. You will not be, you will not be scorched when you walk throughout the fire and the flame will not burn you. Son! Did you hear that? What he's saying is, hey, it don't, just because life happens, just because things happen, if you're, if you're a child of God, you've got to know that he's got your back, that he's going to walk with you through the storm. He's going to carry you through the fire. And I'm here to tell you tonight, some of you, you're being burned up by the fire. You're being drowned by the flood because you don't have a relationship with God. See, the Bible says that if you have that relationship, the flood waves may be high. The flame may be hot. But there's promise that if you have a relationship with God, you're going to come through to the other side. And that keeps me going. That means this, that, that if, if I put my faith in Jesus and I trust in him, that no matter what may happen, no matter how bad it gets, I know he's still in control. So you remember the story of Job? Y'all remember Job had all this bad stuff happen to him? Did y'all know this part, though, that Satan had to ask permission to allow Job to go through that? Isn't it good to know? That sometimes when we go through stuff, the person that's bringing us through the stuff got to ask God for permission to allow it to happen. Because he's God. And so here's what I want you to see. There's a promise. If you're a child of God, it doesn't matter how bad things get. Because you still got him. You still got him. It could be over your head, but it's still under his feet. And I don't care what situation you're going through today. I don't care what your bank account says. I don't care what your spouse says. I don't care what society says. I don't care how bad it is. Here's what I want you to know. He's faithful. And I know your church has been through a lot. I know you've had a lot of things go on, but you know what? God brought you through to the other side. And if you're here tonight and the storms of life are beating on you and the fires of this world are coming against you, just know this.
that greater is He that is in you than he that is in this world. And those situations, those situations cannot harm you unless you allow them to. So remember the promises that are given to the people of God. Man, does that change the way you live your life? Because see, here's the deal. Circumstance is how it happened to all of us. It's just how you handle it that shows where you are with Jesus. See, some of us, when circumstances happen, we, sh- we shipwreck our faith, we bail, we-, we come and we have a holy pity party at the church. But you know what that does? That devalues God's power. Because what we're saying is, God, you can't handle this. God, why? Instead of asking God why, ask God wh- what he wants you to get out of it. It's not why you're going through the situation. It's what God wants to make you as you go through the situation. What he wants to teach you. And listen, somebody out there is watching you when you go through that fire. When the floodwaters rage, they're watching you. And if you shipwreck your faith, guess what they're going to do? I knew that Jesus thing wouldn't last. Because can I tell you something? Some of you got radically saved this week. Some of you tonight are going to get saved. And you're going to go to a, go to a place of business. You're going to go to your workplace. You're going to go to your home. You're going to go somewhere. And somebody's going to say, why would you follow that Jesus guy? And they're going to try to make it hard on you. They're going to try to tell you why you're crazy for doing that and all this stuff. Listen, following Jesus doesn't exempt you from problems. But following Jesus helps you get through them a lot better. So remember the promises that are there for God's people. The second thing I want you to see is this. Remain fearless. Watch this. Look at verse 5. Do not fear, for I am with you. I will bring your descendants from the east and gather you from the west. He says, do not fear. 365 times thereabouts in Scripture, God said, do not fear. Yet we as Christians are the most fearful people walking the planet. We're afraid to live out our faith for fear of what somebody's going to say about us. We're afraid to sell out to Jesus because he, he might ask us to change some things in our lives. We're afraid to forgive somebody who's hurt us because it's easier to hold a grudge than it is to offer forgiveness. We're fearful to get all out, sold out to Jesus because we might look a little weird. We might look a little uncomfortable. It might cause us to rock the boat a little bit. Listen, God says do not Fear. Why? Not because because of anything else, but because he's inside you. The Bible says this. Satan is not, or God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power. Some of you are scared to death to live for Jesus. You know why? Because Satan's told you that living for Jesus ain't worth it. And you've been listening to the voice of the enemy who gives you the spirit of fear rather than the voice of God that says, Hey! Hey! I give you power. Do not fear. You ain't got nothing to be afraid about. If you know Jesus, you're on the winning team. If you know Jesus, there's nothing to fear because he's in control. Listen, I don't care what happens necessarily in Syria. I don't care how how gas prices get. Because he's in control. Who am I to fear? What do I have to fear? Some of you, the Bible even says this in Psalms. Why should I fear? What can man do to me? Whom shall I fear? There's a great story in the Bible. There's this this prophet named Elisha. Not Jah, Shah. Just to clarify. 
And, and Elisha has been mentoring, or he's got one of the, his, his little compatriots with him. And his little, his little mentee comes to him and he says, Elisha, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? The armies of a neighboring army have come against us and, and they're about to overthrow us. And here's what Elisha says to him. Lord, open his eyes that he may see. And when the little servant turns around up on the, up on the mountaintops, he sees angel armies. He sees armies of angels with fiery chariots ready to descend on the enemy. See, a lot of times what binds us in fear is all about how we look at things. See, if we see God as a big God that can handle anything, it diminishes our fear. But if we see God as a little God that can't handle what we're going through, then it increases our fear. You cannot walk by fear and faith at the same time. It's not possible. Some of you say, I'm a person of faith. Really? Last doctor's report you got you a person of faith? I'm a person of faith, really? Then why are you holding on to money rather than giving 10% of the tithe? I'm a person of faith, really? Really? Then why don't you tell your boss you won't work on Sundays and Wednesdays because those days are reserved for the Lord. You say, well, I'll lose my job. Don't you think God can give you another one? I mean, he's God. You say, well, I'm a person of faith, Really? then what's more, what comes out of your life more, fear or faith? Do you boldly live for Jesus in, in, spite of, in spite of anything anybody may say? Do you boldly live for Jesus or do you cower down like Peter did when all those guys came after Jesus? Y'all remember the story? The Bible says Peter was following at a distance. He didn't want to be labeled, he didn't want to be labeled with Jesus. See, some of us, have, we make commitments for Jesus with our mouths, but we don't make them with our hearts because we're too scared of what would happen if we get a heart that's sold out to Jesus. Do not fear. Fearlessness cannot, should not categorize or characterize a Christian. Faithfulness should. The next thing I want you to see is this. Watch this. We've got to understand our reason for living. Check this out. This is great. I love this. Look at, look at verse 6, the last part. Bring my sons from far away and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone called by my name, listen, and created for my glory. Wow. As I travel all the time to different places, people ask me, John, why am I here? You're here. You exist for one thing and one thing only, for the glory of God. And I have people say, should I do this? Should I not do this? Should I do this? Should I not do this? It's not a matter of should you or should you not. It's a matter of does it glorify God. It's a matter of not is it right or wrong, but does it glorify God? So let, let's take it a step further. At the workplace, does your language glorify God? In your home life, as you're, as you're surfing through the TV or you're on your phone, is what you're bringing up glorifying to God? How about this? The way you do your work, does it glorify God? How about your attitude? You exist for the glory of God. God created you not for your glory, but for His. And the problem in the church today is this. We exist for our glory, not for His. We want things our way. We want to be famous. We want it all about us. Listen, Christianity is not about us. It's all about Him. We exist for His glory. So let me ask you this. If you're a Christian tonight, is your life glorifying to God? 
Because if not, you're missing your purpose in life. I'm not asking you what your job is, what your occupation is. I'm asking you what your purpose is. It's to know God and to make Him known, to bring Him glory. You know what the word glory means? It means to make much of. Does your life make much of Jesus or much of something else? Does it make much of Jesus or much of you? You know what Jesus said, the greatest man who ever lived said? I must decrease so that he will increase. Now, if I ask the people who know you the best, if your life glorified God, could they say the same thing yours does? You did? Because you exist for the glory of God. You don't exist to get glory, make money, and die. You exist to bring Him glory. You are His ambassador. You are to make, you are to live your life in such a way that people look at you and want what you have. So my question to you tonight is this, church. If we're going to have lasting revival, it starts with us living a life of glory to God. Husbands, wives, is your marriage relationship bringing glory to God? Before, I, before you say yes, if I were to ask your kids the same thing, would they say yes? Would they, would they, when they see the way you talk to each other, when they, when they see the way um, you handle each other, what would they say? Listen, ladies, your girlfriends that you eat lunch with, the way they hear you talk about your husband, is it glorifying to God? Husbands, your golfing buddies, your hunting buddies, the way you talk about your wife in front of them, is it glorifying and pleasing to God? Good. But know this. God does not want you to glorify Him in one area. He wants you to glorify Him in every area. It's easy to glorify God here and not here. God's not looking for partial glorification. He's looking for the church to give Him complete glorification. So my question to you tonight is this. Where are you on the glory scale? One being not glorifying God at all or ten being, man, my life is all about the glorification of God. Where you at? Where you at? Do you bring glory to God? Do you? The next thing I want you to see is this. If we're going to have lasting revival, we must understand the role God wants us to fill. Watch this. Look at verse 10. You are my witnesses and my servants whom I have chosen so that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Did you hear what he said? Hey, you're my witnesses and you're my servant. We can handle the witness part. We just don't like the servant part. We want God to serve us rather than us serve him. We want God to do things the way we want. It's like Burger King religion, our way right away. I mean, we want God to be at our beck and call, to be our genie in the bottle. And if God doesn't serve us the way we think he should, you know what we do? We jump to somebody else who will. God is not looking to be your servant. God is looking for you to be his servant. And you know what a servant does? A servant obeys the master. A servant is on call whenever the master needs him. A servant is somebody who dies to himself, dies to his agenda, dies to his plans, dies to everything that he holds dear so that the master can get what the master wants. How different would our churches be today if we were more about service and less about being served? 
Because to have full-fledged revival continue, you've got to be willing to be a servant. You've got to be willing to get your feet wet and to get your hands dirty. There's people in your community, listen, there's people in your community that need to see Jesus. And one of the best ways they can see Him is for you to be a servant to them. How many elderly people you know in the community may need their lawn mowed? How many people do you know in the community that might need to be picked up and brought to church? Maybe they need you to serve them and do uh, house upkeep that they can't do. Just today I was marveling at your pastor who, uh, he was talking to somebody who said, I'd love to come tonight, I just don't have gas. You know what your pastor said? Follow me to the gas station, I'll fill you up. That's being a servant, man. That's being a servant. It's thinking less of yourself and more of others and God and how you can advance the gospel. God says, hey, you're my witnesses and you're my servant. My question to you is this. Are you more about God's service to you or your service to God? Because see, God has given each and every one of us talents and abilities that he wants us to use in service to him. Now, he said, you're my witnesses. You know what a witness does? It bears truth. It, it bears testimony of things that have been seen and done. So if you're God's witnesses, here's what that means. You're going to look like Jesus. You're going to talk like Jesus. You're going to act like Jesus. You're going to be like Jesus. The world, I love when Greg has said this, I've heard Greg say it so many times, the world doesn't need us to talk about Christianity, they need to see us live in Christianity. We don't need more declarations of Jesus or Christianity, we need more demonstrations of Christianity. So if God employed you today to be his witness and his servant, would you be employable? Would you be employable? Would he hire you? Because here's the deal. Here's the deal. Unless you are willing to be a servant, and unless you're all in and willing to be a witness, then the kingdom of God is not going to come uh, through you to the greatest extent it could. The next thing I want you to see is this. If we're going to see lasting revival, there must be a reality of salvation. Well, look at this. Watch this. I love this. Look at verse 12. I am the Lord. There is no other Savior but me. I alone declare, save, and proclaim, and not some foreign God among you. Then you look at verse 13. Also, from today on, I am he alone, and none can deliver from my hand. I act, and who can reverse it? Now listen to what he's saying. He's declaring himself to be God, to be it. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Here's what God's saying in Isaiah. There's no other God but me. There's no other way to heaven but me. There's no other means of salvation but me. I'm it. I'm the ticket. And you say, well, John, hold on just a second. I don't know if I believe that. Did you know that inside your body right now is a bunch of DNA? And did you know that what holds that DNA together is a thing called laminin? And every one of us has laminin in our bodies. You know what the shape of the laminin is that God put in there? It's the glue that holds all the DNA together. The shape of laminin in your body is the cross. It's a cross. And all these scientific experts, they, can't give an, they might try to give an answer for how the DNA got there, but you know the one thing they can't give an answer for? 
is the laminin. How's there this glue that holds everything together? I got you. His name is God. He put it there, and the cross holds everything together. Without that glue, our DNA goes haywire. If your DNA goes haywire, you don't live. Here's the point. Without the cross, without Jesus, you don't live. Without the cross, without Jesus, you don't survive. Do you hear what he said? Listen, I, I and I alone am he. And then he said, hey, if you're going to be saved, you've got to come through me. But then he says this, listen, you hear what he said? No one, no, you can't take him out of your hand. If you know Jesus, here's the great thing about it. It's forever. Amen. You can't lose it. But here's the problem. Some of you never had it to begin with. You can't lose it if you have it. And the question, well, John, how do I get it? Very simply, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That whoever believes in him, not here, not here, but right here, will have everlasting life. And those who believe are not condemned. But those who don't believe stand condemned already because they have not believed in the name of the Son of God. Then he goes on to say this in Hebrews 11. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. For those who, who draw near to him must believe first that he exists See, it all starts right there. You can't believe in a God that you don't believe exists. And he rewards those who seek him. Maybe you're here tonight and you want to know how you can be saved. It's very simple. Confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart God raised him from the dead. Not you might be saved. Not you could be saved. But you will be saved. And when you're saved, you get life. When you're saved, you get hope. When you're saved, you get meaning and purpose and passion. And when you're saved, listen, you don't have to sit there wondering, church service after church service, am I going to heaven when I die? You heard Greg stand before you tonight and say this, I know I'm going to heaven. How's he know? Because he didn't come to a church to get to heaven. He didn't say, well, I'm a pastor. God's just going to let me in. He realized he was a sinner. His sin separated from him from the God who created him. And he trusted in faith alone, through grace alone, in Christ alone for salvation. And when Greg Dunn's life on this planet ends, he will spend eternity in heaven with God forever and ever. Why? Not because Greg is a great hunter, which he is. Not because he's a great human being, which he is. Not because he's incredibly bowed up, which he is. Why y'all laughing? But because Greg understood that there's one way. There's one name. And you might just only get one chance. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. Because see, some of you tonight came, you came thinking you got it all good. You came tonight thinking that... Um, because your life is okay, because you strive to please God, because you do this and do that, that you know Jesus and that's going to guarantee you heaven. But here's what I want you to know. He's the way. He's the truth. He's the life and flat out when he says no one comes to the Father but through him, he doesn't say some do and some don't. It means nobody. And 500 years before Jesus lived, God said the exact same thing in the book of Isaiah. I alone am it. There's no other God. 
And you can try to, you can try to get your way to heaven by, by following other gods or other philosophies or other ideologies. And here's the deal. You will burn in hell forever and ever. Or you can take the Bible at face value. You can take God at, by faith through grace and say yes and have your life radically turned upside down. Then I want you to see this. Watch, watch what happens when all this stuff happens. Look at, verse, look at verse 17. Here's what happens when lasting revival goes on. I'm about to do something new. Even now it's coming. Do you not see it? Indeed, I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Here's what he's saying. Here's what he's saying. In chapter 43, verse, verse 19, I'm sorry, verse 19, here's what he's saying. That when we seek after revival, longing, lasting revival, do you hear what he said? First thing, we get life. We get blessings. You hear what he said? He puts rivers in the desert and he makes things new. Some of you want to be new, but the only way, but you think you're going to get new by trying the latest, greatest fad, the latest, greatest weight loss, the latest, greatest this. The way you find new is meet the one who can make all things new. His name is Jesus. And listen, praise God, Jesus doesn't care what your body looks like. He cares what your heart looks like. Jesus doesn't care what your Status is here, how intelligent you are. He cares about your status right here. And he says he, he blesses us when we do these things. He provides water in the desert. He provides life. He gives us hope. He gives us meaning. And listen, he makes all things new. Here's what that means for New Zion Baptist Church. He's going to bring new people into the fold who are going to get saved. And it's going to keep happening and happening and happening. And new people are going to rise up. And they're going to start serving God. And they're going to start winning people to God. All because people at New Zion Baptist Church said, Enough of business as usual, Christianity. I want lasting revival. And they meet a God. They meet a God who says, they meet a God whose promises they can rest on. See, some of you, some of you are mad at God because you think he broke a promise to you. That's not the God I serve. My God keeps his promises. He don't break them. And when he says, you're, you may, you, you'll go through the fire, but you won't be scorched, he means it. When he says he loves you, he means it. When he says, if you come to him, all who are weak and heavy burdened, and he will give you rest, he means it. Yeah. You can rest in the promises of God. Yeah. And then tonight, what would happen if some people at New Zion Baptist Church just decided that they're going to live for the glory of God? That they're going to understand their reason for living. It's not about them anymore. It's about bringing Him glory. Making much of Him and less of themselves. Could it be that God doesn't move in our churches anymore because there's too much of us and not enough of Him? Could it be that the ones that get glorified the most are the God of I? The God of me? I mean, think about it. How many times you walked into a church and somebody got mad five minutes into the worship service? because the only glory we care about is the glory of the God of I. You know what the middle letter of sin is? I. And when we glorify self, guess what happens? Sin comes in. But when we glorify Him, sin leaves. 
What would happen tonight if people at New Zion Baptist Church didn't just realize what the reason for living is, but they accepted their role as God's witnesses and His servants? You think maybe there'd be positions in the church that weren't unfilled? You think maybe if they were servants, there'd be people in the community that would come to church because people at New Zion Baptist Church understand that being a servant means getting outside their comfort zone and being the hands and feet of Jesus. What if instead of asking God for blessings, we go be a blessing to somebody? Rather, what if, listen, what if instead of finding our, ourselves at the hands of Jesus saying, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me, we find ourselves at the feet of Jesus saying, send me, send me, send me. I want to be your servant. I want to be your witness. Where you go, I'll go. Where, where you send me, I'll go. And I'll carry your name, not through the mud, but high for all to see. What would happen if people in New Zion Baptist Church didn't rely on their mom and dad's faith to try to get them to heaven? Doesn't matter if your mom or grandpa know Jesus. Do you? Do you? What if people in New Zion Baptist Church said, you know what? I walked an aisle when I was eight years old at a VBS and I shook a pastor's hand and I prayed a prayer and I said something with my lips that my heart didn't mean. And I realized that I was trying to get to heaven on a, relig on a religious work, not through what a godly work on the cross. See, some of you here tonight, just like it's been in every service, need to get right with Jesus tonight forever, for eternity. Eternity hangs in the balance for some of you tonight. You can say, well, I don't believe all that. That's fine. That's fine. Because you not believing it doesn't solve the problem. <laughs> You've got to acknowledge the problem. Believe that Jesus is the answer for what you have. And confess Him as the Lord of your life. So tonight, my question to you is this. We're going to start with those of you that are, that are here and maybe you're wrestling with salvation. If you died tonight, if you died tonight in your sleep, on your way home, whenever, are you 100% sure that you would spend eternity with Jesus forever and ever? And if so, why? If you stood before Jesus today and he asked you, why should I let you into heaven, what would you say? What would your response be? Well, I go to New Zion Baptist Church and I amen everything Brother Greg says. You know what Jesus is going to say? Depart from me for I've never known you. Well, I grew, up in, in, I grew up in Mississippi and came over to Louisiana, and I'm on the roll of every church, from the Church of God to the First Assembly to the First Pentecostal to the First Charismatic, this and 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 this. You know what Jesus is going to say? Depart from me, for I've never known you. The only way to get you in is through Him. Through Him. By faith alone, through grace alone, in Christ alone. Nothing else. You accept Him by faith, receive His grace for your sins, getting something that you don't deserve, and you acknowledge Him as the one who gave it to you. So tonight, if you need Jesus, not religion, not anything else, you need Jesus. In just a moment, I'm going to have to give you a chance to meet, to meet Jesus. Maybe you're a Christian tonight. You know what? Maybe you've been existing for your glory and not God's. Maybe there's a circumstance or a situation in your life that you're going through tonight 
that's got you mad and bitter toward God, and tonight you need to come repent, realizing that you may go through the, through the waters, but you will not be engulfed. You may go through the flame, but you will not be scorched. If you know him, he's going to take care of his. He's going to take care of his. That's what he does. Maybe tonight you're asking God to serve you, not you serving him. And tonight you need to re-examine the position. You're not the, if, if you know Jesus, you're not the God of your life. He is. And maybe tonight, maybe tonight, You just need to let God have complete and total ownership of everything in your life. So just like we've done every service, we're going to give you a chance to respond. Brother David and the Crusaders are going to come up, and they're going to lead us in a song. And as they're leading, I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Nobody looking around. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Every service we've had this week, somebody has given their life to Jesus. I don't say that to brag, I just say this. There were people who were open and honest and said, hey, I need Jesus. So tonight my question is this. If you stood before God tonight, and eternity's in the balance, and He asks you, why should He let you into heaven, what answer are you going to give Him? If it's anything less than knowing Jesus then you're not going to be with him forever and ever. So my question to you is this. Has there ever been a time in your life where you've met Jesus and he totally transformed your life? You didn't just walk an aisle and leave through the back door unchanged. You gave your life to Jesus and have been forever changed. If you're here tonight and you're not sure that your eternity is secure with God forever and ever, but tonight you want to make it sure, you want to draw a line in the sand and mark down September 25th, 2013 as the day you settled it with God, and without anybody looking, with every head bowed and every eye closed, can I see your hand if that's you? Because either it's heaven or it's hell. It's eternity with God or eternity without Him. John, tonight I want to know. Anybody? Anybody else? Tonight, John, I want to know for sure. Maybe you're a Christian. And maybe one of the areas that we looked at tonight is keeping God from bringing lasting revival. Because there's an area in your life that we talked about tonight that's not right. Here in just a minute, when, I, when we open up the invitation, the altar's going to be open. You can come and pray at this altar. And get some stuff right. But I would say this, if you're here tonight and you don't know Jesus... Maybe you're scared tonight of what people are going to think. You're fearful of what it's going to cost you. I'd be more fearful of what it's going to cost you for eternity than what's going to cost you here. I'd be more fearful of displeasing Him than displeasing my friends. Know this, that the very people that you could be worried about could be the very people you burn in hell next to. It's not about them and you and God, it's about you and God. So in just a minute, if you're not sure that you, need, that, that you have Jesus living inside of you, and that guarantees you heaven forever and ever, but you want to know, Brother Greg is standing right up here. You just come to him and say, hey, Brother Greg, I need Jesus. I need Jesus. I need to know that I know that I know that I know. I want to settle it tonight. Some of you have been running for a long time. You've been wrestling with are you or aren't you. 
Listen, salvation's kind of like death. You're either dead or you're not. It's kind of like being pregnant. You're either pregnant or you're not. Salvation, you're either saved or you're not. You're either saved or you're not. Are you? If not, tonight, Brother Greg wants to talk with you. Christian, if everything's good with you and God, fine, but if not, the altar's open. Lord Jesus, I love you. And I thank you for the truth of your word. And I pray tonight for brokenness. I pray tonight for honesty. I pray tonight, God, for um, just you to rule and reign here. God, there's people, I can feel it tonight. There's people that need to give their life to you. And God, anything that would keep them from coming to you and making that decision, would you strip them of it? Any fear, any pride, any um, anxiety, whatever it may be, would you strip them from it? And let them know that a life filled with you has no regrets, but a life without you has plenty. So God, bring them to you tonight. For the Christians, God, I pray that we wouldn't leave here until we've done business with you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. I'm going to invite you to stand.